enjoying our series in Luke so far? Yeah, two of us. Yeah, um, I'm glad to hear that. At least two of us are. I told somebody this morning, I think it was Josh, I said, this has been the most, one of the most challenging series I've ever done in my life. Because normally if I went through something like Luke, I would take like three years and I'd go through it just, just thought by thought by thought by thought by thought. And I just love that. Well, I challenged myself this time and said, we're going to do a chapter a week. And so that's hard. It's way harder for me to try to, it's literally taking me twice as long, at least twice as long to prepare sermons because I'm trying to figure out what is the thing you're trying to say to us today. And, and that's, you know, I always do this. I run in the, right on my sermon preparation notes every week. I always work with yellow pads and I write at the top of it every single week, Lord, I want to glorify you and bless your bride. And that's what I do every week. And I've, if at the end, sometimes I've been done, and if what I prepare does not seem like it's glorifying God and, and blessing his bride, I throw it in the garbage and I start over. And so this has been a tough series, but it's been a rich series as we're going through hearing what Dr. Luke has to say. Because remember, it's a doctor, and he was, we think he was commissioned to investigate all what's going on about Jesus. And with that doctor mind, um, analytical, intelligent, he's researching, he's talking to witnesses, he's learning it all. He even traveled with Paul for a while. And so he's this guy who's got firsthand knowledge, but also investigates and is telling us basically all about Jesus is what he's trying to to get us to understand, the the truth about Jesus. And so we're going to be in in Luke chapter 6 today, so you can grab your Bible Open up to Luke 6, and we're going to look at a portion today of Luke 6 that is a mini version of something that I'd imagine most of us are really familiar with. Who's familiar with the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew? At least you can say you know about the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard about it. Um, you know, it's kind of where, where Jesus is teaching about life in the kingdom And he's saying how it's going to be totally different. It's totally different than life that you were born into in the kingdom of this world. That life in the kingdom of God is is completely different. Well, in the section of Luke that we come to today, it's a mini version of the Sermon on the Mount from from Matthew. Now, we don't know if if Luke just condensed it or he's talking about what he heard from somebody else, the message preached, where Jesus maybe talked about this same message over and over and over because the main thing that Jesus talked about in all of his preaching was the kingdom of God. And so Luke here gives us mini version um, of 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 the Sermon on the Mount. And what was really important as we start off here is to understand who he is talking to in this this little mini version of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6. Because it says very clearly who he's talking about, who he's talking to in verse 20. We're going to look at verse 20 and beyond. Verse 20, it says, in turning to his gaze towards his who? disciples. So he is writing this to disciples, to people who are following him and want to become like him. And friends, that's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who's following after Jesus and wanting to become like him. And really, friends, that's what being a Christian is supposed to be all about. So he's speaking to his followers, people who who, um, like him, People who are, who, who are saying, I want to become like you, and people who therefore are a lot like us. And the reason I'm pointing it out is because we're going to get to a section in here that you're probably in your brain going to want to say, well, he's not writing that to disciples. He's writing it to people who don't follow him. And we're going to find out that, uh, that he says some things that, that are maybe really challenging to us. 
that we'd easier to say, well, he's writing this to followers, but that. No, the whole thing is written to people who say, I want to be like Jesus, and I want to follow him. So if that's you, this applies to you today. If you say, I am a disciple of Jesus, what he's going to say today applies to us, and all of it applies to us. And so in this section of of Luke, as he's doing this, he basically breaks the Sermon on the Mount content into three general categories or three statements. And we're going to kind of go through them in three chunks. The first chunk he's going to say, he's going to say, blessed are. He's going to talk what that means to be blessed. Then he's going to say, woe to you. And he's going to talk a whole section about woe to you for this and woe to you for that. And then he's going to say, but I say to you. He's going to say how I'm reinterpreting what life in the kingdom is like compared to life that of the world you've been born into without walking with Jesus. So we're going to unpack what he says in these three different statements um, of what it means to follow after him. So let's start with the first one, the blessed section. Wouldn't you rather start with being blessed, right? So the blessed section. Um, so the blessed are, chapter 6, verses 20 to 23. Let's start there. It says, And turning his gaze towards his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you, uh-oh, who are poor. Well, we don't, let's turn to a different page, okay? That we want to do? Wait a second. What's he saying here? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you, and insult you, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Now let's notice in this section what he's talking about here to his followers. I kind of alluded to it earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, this mini version of it. He's talking about life in the kingdom, living in the kingdom of God, what it's like to live in the kingdom, to live under Jesus' rule. And he starts off in verse 20 saying, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And that's the context of the whole thing, saying, what does life in the kingdom of God look like? And he's talking about a kingdom living as opposed to what I'm going to call worldly living which is how every single one of us lives in this world without Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And the first thing we see is that he is saying that everyone is welcome in his kingdom. See, he's talking, you've got to understand the context here. He's talking to this large group of followers, and in that crowd of large group of followers would have been people, they mainly were people of the Jewish tradition. They were Jewish people following a Jewish rabbi, And a lot of them in the group, according to the context of the world they lived in at that time, would have been deemed unworthy for the kingdom. But if he's saying, bless the poor, for for yours is the kingdom of God. And they're going, what? Wait a minute. We have been told our whole lives that we're not worthy of the kingdom. See, because in Jesus' day, they believed they were taught by by the Jewish leaders. They were taught that only healthy, Jewish, wealthy men were welcome in the kingdom of God. And they looked at things, certain things that said who could come into worship in a temple. And if you had certain, um, from, the, from the scriptures and certain um, problems with you, you weren't welcome in there. And so they had concocted this idea that said that God only welcomed wealthy Jewish, healthy men into the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus now, he's this rabbi, and he looks at the crowd, and he sees the poor. He says the poor. He sees the hungry. He sees the ostracized of society, and he says, you are blessed. In other words, he's saying this, you are welcome in my kingdom. Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, understand what he's saying. Is he saying, because you're poor, now you're welcome in the kingdom? Matter of fact, so the qualification to get to the kingdom of God is you have to be poor. Is he saying that? Not at all. Not, it's not because they are poor, but he's saying, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, because he's saying to them, you've been told you weren't welcome, but I'm telling you, even if you're poor and even if you're hungry, you are included in the kingdom. You've been told you're excluded. He says, I'm telling you, you are not excluded. You are welcome in the kingdom. You know, in this blessed our section, Jesus is saying something totally different than what the people had understood. He's saying this, all of you, good, bad, poor, rich, all people are welcome. Therefore, all can be blessed in his presence. And includes in that blessing, he's saying blessed are, he includes in that blessing that it goes to all people, a promise of provision in the kingdom. He says what? The hungry shall be satisfied in the kingdom. The weeping shall laugh in the kingdom. Jesus is saying that life in his kingdom, his kingdom, his way, is better than anything the world offers now and eternally. Better now because whether or not we have abundance, he's not saying you're all going to have abundance. He says some are poor and some are rich. He says better now because whether or not you have abundance, Jesus in your life is better that he will care for you and his care, his presence is so much better than anything that this temporal world offers. And he says this, it's even better than the approval of people because he says, look it, people are going to ostracize you. They're going to hate you just like they did the prophets. They'll hate you. They'll misunderstand you. He says, but you can rejoice when that happens. Why? Because life in the kingdom is better. Now, I don't know that I'm at a place in life where I can rejoice when I'm ostracized and criticized. But he's saying, life rich in the kingdom, you will actually get that it's even better than to have the kingdom, to be with Jesus and King Jesus, than to have the appraisal, the, 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 the approval of people. He said, so when they criticize you, you can rejoice. Why? Because you're in the kingdom. Life in his kingdom is better than anything that this life without him could ever offer. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says it doesn't just happen to be part of this life, he extends it to eternity. Look at verse 23. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward is great. Where? In heaven, in eternity. Jesus is saying life in his kingdom is blessed, but life in his kingdom, those blessings don't end with this life. That life with Jesus is eternal and it's about heaven. In Christ, we have the promise of a blessed eternity forever in the presence of God in a new heaven and a new earth, living as mankind was originally intended to live. How did God intend for us to live? He intended us to live without the, without the influence of sin, in a garden, in abundance, walking in relationship with Him. And He's saying, listen, in my kingdom, now and in eternity, that's what you're going to get. The, what, what mankind was always supposed to have Life with God without the negative effects of sin and death. He says, so it's now, but listen, it's even for eternity. He says, that reward is great. That's the promise 
of living in the kingdom. And that's what he's getting at when he says, blessed are. You're blessed. doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. You're blessed if you're in the kingdom. Now, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sounds good so far? Yeah? But let's notice something. And it's not that it's not good, but we like to stop right there. And here's the temptation. We want to take the next part we read and say, and that has to do with somebody else other than disciples. But who's he writing to here? Disciples. He doesn't switch here. He doesn't go, oh, by the way, now let's turn our attention to a different group of people. He's still talking to his disciples. He doesn't, so um, he, he moves into from the blessed section into the woe to you section. And I got to tell you, I wrestle with this. Every time I read this, I wrestle with it. And I, and I think I have an understanding. I'm not saying for sure, but I think I have an understanding of what he's doing here. See, he's still speaking to his disciples, those who follow him. And, you know, people often went, uh, want to, like I said, apply this to others, but he's still speaking to them. But so what could he be saying to people who want to follow him in this next section? Look at verses 24 to 26. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. So we say, Lord, what are you saying to people who want to follow you through the woe, you know, woe to you section? Well, Jesus goes here from talking about blessings to warning warnings to those who follow him. He's warning us. Jesus is basically saying this. Life in my kingdom is blessed. Blessed are. But life in my kingdom will cost you. That's what he's saying here. The woe to you section is about counting the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus looks over the crowd and in that, in addition to seeing the poor and the hungry, which he addressed in the, in the blessed section, he sees the rich and the happy and the well-connected. And he looks at them and he says, woe to you. And I think if, we'd, if he'd use our vernacular today, he would say it like this. Woe to you, because if you follow me, you may lose it all that you have in this world. It may cost you everything. Following him may cost you your promotion at work. You know, in many countries today, today this morning, it is costing people their very lives to follow Jesus because they will not deny him. It costs them their very lives to follow him. Following him may cost you friends and it may cost you family. It may cost you reputation. Jesus saying, woe to you. Listen, you got it all, but woe to you. There's there's a cost to this. Jesus is talking about counting the cost of being a disciple here. He's saying, my way is totally different than the world's way. And as you live my way, the world just might reject you. And you won't have the abundance in this life. And you won't have the acceptance in this life. Matter of fact, you may be rejected in this life, just like people did to the false prophets in the past. And his warning extends beyond just thoughts of losing stuff and losing relationships. And that that's, that's, seems like a... Big price to pay, but he's saying it could cost you that. But he he takes it beyond that. And he extends this warning to our need 
to be honest about ourselves. And I think this is something we really got to wrap our heads around this morning. He is saying that life in the kingdom is about being all in with Jesus. So much so that it may cost you a lot. But also, he is warning those who follow him that going after things of this world might just sidetrack you from really being all in with Jesus. So he says, you know, woe to you if your passions lie in having all the stuff the world says is important now. Woe to you if your passions lie in having it all now because you just might miss uh, the most important thing, which is life in his kingdom. You just might get all that the world offers and miss out on what's most important, living in the reality of the kingdom now and for all eternity. He's warning those he loves, those who are following him. He's saying, be careful. These things can be false gods. These things can make you self-sufficient instead of God-dependent. And that will keep you out of the blessing of the kingdom of God. So he can say, woe to you if you're rich. Woe to you if you're well-fed. They can distract you. Jesus is encouraging something here. He's encouraging self-evaluation. He's not saying money or laughter or abundance are bad. He's not saying that for a minute. Rather, he's saying, be honest with yourself. Is the pursuit of those things keeping you from going all in with Jesus in his kingdom? And he says, if it is, woe to you. Because you just might get that and miss what's, what, what's way more important. That's the woe to you section. It's about counting the cost. Are you going, yeah... You're happy now, but you know what? If you follow me, you just might lose it all. And if you go after these things, the world's are important. You just might miss the most important thing. So woe to you if you have those things, but you're not really all in in the kingdom. And what Jesus is revealing here in chapter 6 is that life in his kingdom should look totally different than the life you lived before you were in the kingdom or the life that somebody without Jesus lives in the house next to you. And he makes this even more clear in this next section when he says, but I say to you, look at this, starting in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to anyone who asks of you, and whatever takes away, and, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful." I don't know about you, but just reading that should shock us. Just reading that makes me evaluate myself and say, woe to me. 
Just reading that makes me say, woe to Mark, because I don't know that I'm really all in. Lend and don't expect to receive it back. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Jesus is looking at his followers and telling them, he said, listen, loving me is a big deal. Following me is a big deal. I want you to go all in with me. He's talking to people who are saying, I'm following. He says, I want you to go all in. And if you do, you will live completely different lives than those around you in the kingdom of this world. You will be blessed because of it. Blessed are. But it's going to cost you a lot. And you should look completely different than the people around you, friends. That's what he's getting at verses 32 to 34. Look at that section. It's hard to read. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those who you expect to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back. He's saying, listen, the things that you so often say, oh, this is ways I'm saying I'm, I'm really all in. He says it's any different than just a rank and file person down the street who's just a nice guy. He's saying, are we, are we any different? He sees the world, you know, he says the world is nice to those who are nice to them. But he says that we are supposed to be different. That we're not supposed to be just kind and loving and giving to those who are kind and loving and giving to us. You know, Portview family, we, one of our core values is, is um, connecting authentically with people in the, in the family of God. So we can stop it right there and go, yeah, we do great. We lend and we help and we bless to people we love, and they'll do the same right back to us. I give you a meal when you're having a hard time, and you give me a meal when I'm having a hard time. He goes, that's cool. He says, but everybody in the world does the exact same thing. He says, that's just like everybody else. And he, what's interestingly here is he calls them sinners. He says, even sinners do it. Even sinners do it. Even sinners do it. You know, he's looking at the world and going, anybody does that. But he says, but Christians are supposed to be different. Because of Jesus, he says, we are supposed to extend love to everybody. And he summarizes that up by something we should all be pretty familiar with. In verse 31, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. We call it the golden rule. That's kingdom living. The other day I tried to, in preparation, I tried to think about that verse honestly. And I didn't like it. One bit. Because I started thinking of people I know that were in tough situations right now. And I thought, if I was them, what do I wish Mark would do for me? I thought, well, I'd want, I'd want that person, if I just had my wish, I'd want him to do this, this, and this for me. And I thought, I'm not doing that, that, or that. So I'm really loving them. Am I really loving them as myself? I can look at anybody. Oh, they're in a hard time. They have a need. Maybe it's a financial need. And I say, well, what if I was them, what would I want? Oh, I'd want somebody to walk up and pay my electric bill. Right? And it's saying, how do we live like that? I'm saying, this is a hard section of Scripture. Because I want to say, yeah. You know, Suzanne's been sick lately. You guys know that. She left here, not being, doing well. And so many people have been awesome. Man, making great meals and bringing them to our house and having us over. It's been, it's been wonderful. And it's been wonderful and it's 100% appreciated. But you know what the truth is? When you're having a hard time, we'll make a meal for you and give it to you. Now that's the way that should be. That's as it should be. Because we do that all the time. But he's saying, how would, we, how would we do this to somebody outside the family? 
That's what he's talking about here. How would we do that? And not, and would you, and would you make the meal and, and never wanting one back in, in return? The golden rule, treat others the way you want them to treat you. So think about when you're somebody you know in a situation of need or pain or hurt and say, if I was that person, how would I want to be treated? That's what he's getting at. Not just, just you know, you, you make, make a meal for me and I make a meal for you. He says, everybody does that. But he says, kingdom living is different. Can we see what Jesus is trying to do in chapter 6? He, from the very start here, is he wants everyone who will, because he's talking to his followers, we're in the beginning of Luke, so early on in ministry. He wants anyone who will follow him to know that life in the kingdom isn't just some latest religious fad. That he is literally inviting us to leave the kingdom of this world and live under a new rule and reign of a new kingdom that has completely different value system. It's totally different than the world world we were born into. He's trying to show us the radicalness of following him. Matter of fact, many theologians, if you read all kinds of commentaries on this, you'll find many theologians who take this section here and the same section in in the Sermon on the Mount and they try to say that it doesn't apply for today. That's talking about um, the eternity. That's what they say. Many, many, many scholars, because they they can't envision going anywhere beyond verses 32 to 34, you make me a meal and I'll make you a meal. They go, it's it's impractical, we can't live that way. We can't live in a way that says treat others the same way you want to be treated. But Jesus never says, this is for another day and age. He says, this is for now. He's talking to his disciples, says, this is how we should live now. And he's not condemning. He's just welcoming us into the kingdom. He says, if you go all in, this will be the natural result the natural result of living all in the kingdom is you will live different in this world. He's trying to show the radicalness of following him. It's intended to change everything about our lives and anything less simply isn't the gospel that Jesus taught. He's warning of the dangers of going, I think this, he's warning of the dangers of going halfway. Of saying Jesus is Lord and Savior but never having it really change our lives. He's trying, to, he's trying to warn us. He's warned us of the danger of going halfway, saying Jesus is Lord, meaning, means that living in the kingdom, and that will put us at odds with the worlds around us. And sometimes we say that kind of the message that we hear from a lot, of, a lot of times from the pulpits today is that you'll be loved by the whole world. Jesus is saying you won't, be, you won't even be understood by the world. But what's he saying will happen? It will make us like God himself. See, our goal is to grow in likeness, to become more like Jesus from the inside out. Look at verses 35 and 36. Matter of fact, as reading this, I've told myself I'm going to commit these verses to memory. Um, which, as you know me, I have a terrible time remembering, but I'm going to commit these to memory. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be what? Sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Friends, 
he's saying as we live in the kingdom, what happens is we're transformed from the inside out. It's a lifelong process. But eventually as we walk with Jesus and we live in his kingdom and we treat others as they want to be treated, what happens is, is we start looking totally different. Instead of hating our enemies, we love them. And we do good to people and we lend to people expecting nothing in return because we know the reward that we have of life with Jesus and eternity will be great and you will be like you will be like sons of the Most High. We become like God, like Jesus. He's trying to show us how radical this is. And I've really wrestled with how to end this message today. Because here's my dilemma. I don't want to lose the seriousness of the message that Jesus said. What is so easy to do many times when something looks really, really hard is we find a way to explain it away and I'm a master at explaining it away. Well, this really means that and that really means that. So he's not really saying that. We're all pretty good at it. But I don't want to lose the seriousness of it. I don't want to be responsible for explaining away the need for Christ followers to abandon this life in pursuit of a life in Christ. I don't want to be responsible for that. So this is how I want to end today. I want to read another section of Scripture from the Gospel of Luke and ending. It's, it's Jesus dealing with the exact same topic. And I want to let it speak to us in closing. And here's, here's my deal. I'm not going to give any commentary on it. Because what I'm tempted to do is I want to say, but that must mean that and that must mean that because it just can't mean the main and plain that Jesus says, but I believe that it does. And so I want the Spirit, not in a sense of condemnation. I was talking to a few people before this week and I said, man, I feel like I'm punching people in the face this week. But because I feel like I've been getting punched a little bit from it. But that's a good thing if it, gets us, if it, if it makes us more, if it, if, it, if it rips some of the world away from us and says, God, I want to be all in. So Luke chapter 14. Turn your Bibles there, Luke 14. And I'm just going to read this, and I'm going to end. It's Jesus again. If you've got a red-letter Bible, it's Jesus again, Luke recording the words of Christ. So it's not somebody saying, hey, I heard him say, you know, I mean, he's saying, this is what Jesus said. Verses 25 to 33. It says, Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it uh, begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else... While the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his possessions. 
And let's stop right there. I'm not sure who's going to, somebody going to come up? I want us just to bow our heads this morning. And I just want us to be open to the Spirit of the Lord. Again, this is not this has not been a fun message to probably preach or to hear. But I think I've been very honest with the scriptures this morning of Jesus saying, Blessed are everybody, rich or poor, if you come into my kingdom. But woe to you because it's probably going to cost you, it's not probably, it's going to cost you, if you're really all in, it's going to cost you everything. You've got to give it all up to go in the kingdom. You've got to have everything with open hands, saying, God, it's all yours, do with it what you want. And then we see the reality of him saying, and this is what life in the kingdom looks like as compared to life outside the kingdom. Everything is different. We're like our Father, that we're, we're, we're not only kind to those who are kind to us, but we're loving and kind and generous to those who are rotten to us. That we're a lot like Jesus on the cross. When Jesus had his arms outstretched wide, and he looked at them, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And so, Father, this is our prayer today, my prayer on behalf of our church family today. Would you take the truth of the words that we've read today and let them just settle deep inside of our souls? Would you let, us, would you let them be really real to us today as a way of self-evaluation, a way of saying, have I really said I'll give it all. Have I really said that? Have I really meant it? And then whenever you require whatever you would, you might say, keep it all. You might say, give it all away. Yet you could do that in whatever you want to do, but that we've come to the place of saying, following you is really the most important thing. It's more important than my parents, than my wife, than my children. It's more important than career and, and bank accounts. It's more important than the, than the accolades of men. That following you, we're in essence willing to give all of it away. Just hold it in open hands and say, God, but the number one thing in my life is following after you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just speak to our hearts you would show us the truth of where we're at with that. Maybe some of us in here need to commit or recommit to being all in today. I do. Reading through these scriptures make me say, man, Lord, I'm, I'm holding back. I do question is for you, not between me and you, between you and God is do you. Maybe we're ready to say a real yes to Jesus today. Not a partial yes, a real yes. 
that says, I, I want to be all in. I would just close this way this morning. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed, but I usually think it's, a, it's really important to try to, to act on what we're feeling. We're in a moment of prayer today. Could, and if you feel the Spirit speaking to your heart and saying, you know what, Lord, I need to, I need to recommit that affirmation to saying I'm all in. That, Lord, maybe I'm, maybe I'm drifting a bit and I need to be all in today. And I want to be all in today. And I want to count the cost that says it will cost me. All those woe twos that, Lord, yes, that, that I'm saying I know, okay, it's, it's going to cost me, but you're better, you're more important. And so I'm saying, okay, whatever it costs me, Lord, I'm, I'm all in with you. If that's you today, slip up your hand. Okay. Just put them up and say, Lord, just hold them up for a minute. It's a sign to the Lord. You're saying, I'm all in today. I'm all in today, God. I really am. We can put our hands down. So, Father, hands all across this place. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for a church full of people who are saying, you know what? I want to, I, I want to be all in. I want to be all in. And I would say, God, now, would you just help us? Would you just help us, God? Because for most of us that raise our hands today, God, my hands were raised. Um, we're saying we've we've been walking with you for a while, but we but we want to we want to be all in because maybe Lord, for a lot of us, we've said we've tried it we've kind of tried it both ways, one foot in each each kingdom, and and it's just no fun. If we want to experience the power of your resurrection. We want to also know that we know it only comes from being all in in your kingdom. So, Lord, today.